miserable about something. I mean, just miserable. Unhappy, uneasy, uncomfortable, discouraged, downcast, and depressed. You know, like when you realize that Tacos for Life had taken the crab cake taco off of the menu, you know, it's just just miserable, you know. Or maybe when you heard that they were canceling New Coke. I mean, I know that was a terrible moment for a lot of people, right? Or maybe when the waitress comes back over to the table and says, hey, I'm really sorry, but we are out of red velvet cheesecake. You know, we've, we've had moments in life where misery came our way. I saw something interesting the other day. It's a, a support group that was either trying to strike advertising gold or they were trying to strike out with all of their potential clients because on the door of their office, it said, be sure to ask about our free bumper sticker, Misery Loves Company. Yeah, they'll probably get some people to come. Misery Loves Company. Here's the thing about misery, though. When misery cranks up, it is exhausting. Most of us can remember that moment or those moments where we've been miserable, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting in this way, It does everything it can to pull us away from hope, from confidence, from comfort, from joy, from peace. Just pulls us away from that. And and when misery really hits its peak, it does everything it can to keep us from laughing or smiling or even smirking. But is that how life has been designed? Has life been designed for us just to be Miserable, Or is there something else? Is there something else that over and over again can pull us out of misery and set us back on our feet with a, a nice crab cake taco or some red velvet cheesecake in our hands? Something that makes life different. Something that changes the course of what's happening. There is something just like that. And Jesus is going to tell us about it. Listen to what he says in John 16, beginning with verse 16. A little while longer, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Jesus is talking to his closest friends, his disciples. And his message has always been very consistent. It's a message not of misery. It's a message of mercy, a message of of hope. It's not a miserable message. Jesus called his disciples to follow after him. And they did. And Jesus is calling you today to follow after him. So have you taken that first step in following Jesus? If you haven't, then it would be important for you to know that that Jesus has designed life with him to be fun and happy and easy and comfortable. That's what the Bible says in Second Hallucinations chapter 3, verse 2. No, it's not the life that Jesus designed. It, it's not a fluffy life. It's, it's not one that's just easy and fun and full of comfort. But it is a life with Him. It's a life with Jesus. Jesus did not design life with Him for you to be away from Him, for you to be distant from Him, for you to be disconnected from Him even though sometimes that's exactly how we feel. But Jesus didn't plan it that way. Jesus has designed life with him to be with him, 
to be fixed on Him, to be close to Him, to be near Him. This is how He's designed it. And why did He do that? So then all the snarls and snares and troubles of life that we've experienced this week, that our salvation wouldn't just be real, but our salvation would feel real. That's, that's difference. See, the disciples of Jesus, they, they experienced all of that. They had been for three years at this point walking and talking and, and eating and serving. They had been around Jesus all the time. They experienced what it means to be close to Jesus, what it means to be near to Him. But in just a few hours from this conversation, things were about to change. Jesus was going to leave them. And so Jesus was starting to talk in a way that, that was making them feel awkward. They were a little confused. They were a little afraid. They were a little worried. They, they kind of felt like they were right there on the edge of doubt. What's, what's really happening? Have you ever felt any of those things in life? Ever, ever felt confused or awkward or worried or afraid or frustrated or, or just kind of sitting right there on the edge of doubt, wondering how all of this is going to work out, wondering how this situation is going to work out and this situation is going to work out and, and how some bigger situations are going to work out. Have you ever been there? And what does Jesus do to help his friends in this moment of confusion and, and kind of hanging on the edge of doubt? Well, he does what any good friend and any wonderful Savior would do. He's, he's going to help them. And how does he help them? Well, he helps them by telling them this. In a little while, you'll never see me again. And then in a little while, you'll see me again. Well, that's helpful, right? <laughs> Nothing confusing about that at all. So how did they respond to this so-called help from Jesus? Listen to verse 17 and 18. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father? So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They didn't have a clue. They had no clue what was going on. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. And in their doubts, they turned to each other, which makes total sense, right? If you ever find yourself in a group of people that are very confused, by all means, turn to each other. Don't look for someone wise outside of the confusion to help. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Yeah, the disciples were confused. They were frustrated, and so they decided to turn to each other. But they were all confused, and they were all frustrated. What they didn't do was turn to Jesus. They turned to each other instead of turning to Jesus. We do that every now and then, don't we? So they look at one another and they're like, what is he talking about? This, this, this makes no sense. Is this, is this a trick question? Are we on candid camera? Is this thing going to go viral? What, what is happening? I don't understand what Jesus is talking about. For almost three years, they had been in a relationship with Jesus. And yet, they still didn't know him. Jesus over and over again said, this is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. This is where I'm going. Here's, here's what's happening. But it just didn't click. It just didn't click. And Jesus knew it wasn't clicking with them. So he's going to help them. He's going to respond. Look what he says in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, Are you 
deliberating together about this? That I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? See, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And, and you can almost sense he could see it on their face, right? I mean, how many times have you been explaining something to someone or, or maybe someone was explaining something to you and someone in that conversation all of a sudden got that look, you know, that look like, uh, I think I understood, but just in case, tell me the whole thing again, you know. We don't understand. We're, we're confused. What exactly is going on? The disciples were confused. And to be fair, I mean, it was a little strange, right? Hey, you're not going to see me, and then you are going to see me again. I mean, at the very least, it's a little confusing. So what's he talking about? Why would Jesus say this? Hey, you're not going to see me, and then you're going to see me again. Well, maybe he's talking about the fact that he's getting ready to get arrested. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken into the the religious courtrooms, the church courtrooms, and he's going to be taken into the Roman courtrooms, and and he's going to be in there for a while. And then eventually he's going to come out, and he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be crucified. And so, so maybe Jesus is saying, hey, in a little while, you know, you won't see me because I'll be in the courtrooms. And then a little while later you'll see me because I'll be outside the courtrooms. Or maybe Jesus is talking about dying and, and being put in the tomb and then rising from the dead. Maybe he's just trying to say, hey, a little while you're not going to see me because I'm going to be dead. But a little while later you'll see me because I'll be alive. Or maybe he's talking about a second coming. Maybe he's saying, hey, you know, there's going to be a time that you're not going to see me anymore because I'm, I'm going to be ascending to heaven, but, but I'm coming back again to take all the, the true followers of the gospel back home to heaven with me. You won't see me for a little while, but then you will see me again. You know, over the years, good arguments have been made for, for all three of those. And we can see a little bit of that in what Jesus is saying. A little of all of those are here. But what Jesus says next gives a little more pinpoint. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. So Jesus tells them, look, your sadness is going to be real. Your sadness is going to be deep. You're going to grieve. You're going to mourn. You might find yourself bawling like a baby somewhere. You might find yourself feeling like you're going to throw up. You're so upset. You might find yourself over in the corner of a dark room just just balled up. You might sit out on the back porch and stare at the trees for hours and hours. You might scream and wail and moan at the funeral service. But it's going to be real. Jesus is, is not doing anything but being truthful with them. Their grief was going to be real. They were going to be extremely sad. And while they were grieving, the world was going to be rejoicing. The world was going to say, Jesus is dead? Great. Finally. We don't have to listen to his intolerant teaching anymore. We don't have to listen to him saying that that he is the only way to God, the only way to heaven. We don't have to hear him keep telling us that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. The world hated Jesus and they were going to be perfectly happy for Jesus to be gone. And sadly but truly, the world still hates Jesus. And they are happy to deny that his return is anything but a fairy tale. 
The world is, is happy to look at Jesus as just kind of a, a nice but weak hippie teacher kind of guy. Wore sandals and a robe, passed out Jolly Ranchers to kids, and, and went and visited people in the hospital. The problem with that view, though, is, is the Bible never gives us that view of Jesus. John was describing by revelation and vision from God what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Here's just a, a portion of that description from Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I just don't hear a lot of hippie teacher in that. Like, not at all. And, and can I also just comfort your soul and your mind for the next few weeks and the next four years? No matter who is inaugurated as president of the United States, the United States, Revelation 19 will always stand. There will never be a time that Jesus is not the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we go vote with confidence for our candidate. We do not go vote with fear. We do not go vote with anger. We do not go vote with trepidation. We vote with confidence that our God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that will never change. It has never changed. It won't change in 20 years or 20,000 years. We have every reason to be excited, faithful, prayerful, bold Americans. Because Jesus is King. And He always will be. No one will change that. That's a reason to have joy. <laughs> That's a reason to enjoy our faith. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not a hippie teacher. And, and you know, his army doesn't sound like a bunch of hippies either, right? I heard somebody say one time, if you go to fight some people and they all show up wearing white, you're going to lose because they aren't planning on getting dirty. There's no hippie teacher in this scene. There's no weak guy passing out candy. But a few hours after Jesus was talking to his disciples, there was kind of a thing. There were, there were people. They were gloating over Jesus being killed. They were gloating that he was being arrested and beaten and crucified. They were gloating in his death. And there will be a day that those people will stand before Jesus and it won't be a hippie Jesus. It'll be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It won't be a hippie Jesus. It'll be sore coming out of the mouth Jesus. 
You see, the, the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus came to rescue sinners from sin. That he came, that he died, that he loved you, that he gave himself up for you. And it is his desire to save and rescue all who put their faith in him. That's the great news of the gospel. And the majority of the world, not all of the world, there's a a small number, at least in in the bigger number of things, there's a a small number of people groups, maybe around 3,000, 3,500 now, that have never heard the gospel. People on the planet that have never heard anything that we talk about every single Sunday. But the majority of the world has heard the gospel, and many of the people that have heard the gospel keep rejecting the gospel. And those that keep rejecting the gospel will stand before Jesus one day, and he won't be a hippie. He'll be the word of God. He'll be the one that's faithful and true. He'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. and they will not be gleefully gloating. See, a few days after all of this transpired with Jesus, the people who went to church but were not Christians, so to speak, the the Romans and and anybody else that wasn't following Jesus, they were going to be glad. They were going to be happy. But the followers of Jesus, they were going to be sad. But Jesus tells them their sadness was going to be temporary. It it was going to be real. They were going to be sad. But then things were going to change. Jesus says that their grief, their mourning, their sadness was going to be turned into joy. Now, don't miss the wording. He didn't say it was going to be replaced. He didn't say that their grief was going to be replaced with joy. He said it was going to turn into joy. The the very thing that was causing them pain, that was causing them sadness, that was causing them grief was going to be turned into joy. Look, eating a salad might make you sad. I don't know. Maybe that's just a thing. But if I were to sprinkle some fresh-cooked, crumbled pecan wood smoked bacon all over that salad, your sadness might turn to joy, right? I mean, things would change. The, The thing that was causing you sadness might turn. See, we're tempted more often than not to say, God, I don't want the bad stuff. Get rid of the bad stuff. Take the bad stuff away. I don't want any of this to happen. And yet, often, it is in the bad stuff that God actually helps us, moves us into the deepest joy that Jesus has purchased for us. My friend Elton died four years ago. He was in a car accident. About six months after I met Elton, he was in an accident on his farm. He lost both of the lower parts of his legs. For the next 15 years, Elton would stand on his prosthetic legs, and he would tell anybody that would listen that God meant it all for good. That his 40 days in the hospital suffering immense pain in Greenville, North Carolina, that the next 15 years of ongoing pain and suffering that he experienced was all meant for good because the gospel captured the life of his family. You see, it was after his accident that he and his wife and his two kids started going all over the world to help people hear about Jesus and to serve them. From Argentina to Haiti to Canada to Scotland, they just kept going and kept serving and kept going and kept serving. 
In fact, 13 years before his accident, they weren't even going to church. And after his accident, the pain didn't disappear. The suffering didn't disappear. But that pain was turned into joy. Their their lives were completely changed after the accident. The accident increased their joy because they began to see what it meant to be saved. What it meant to know Jesus and be known by Jesus. What it meant to love Jesus and be loved by Jesus. And it happened through their grief. It happened through their pain. It happened through their problems. Jesus was honest with his disciples. Hey, this is going to hurt. It's going to be hard. You're going to be sad. You're going to be upset. But that difficulty is going to be turned into joy. That sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And, And that's why I think Jesus is not talking about the courtroom. I mean, because how would that be hopeful, you know? If he was just talking about the courtroom, it's like they would watch him go into some, you know, big building with big columns, and he'd been there for a few hours, and he'd come out, and he'd get beaten, and he'd get crucified. I mean, that doesn't sound like it would give him much hope. And, and it also seems like he's not talking about his second coming. Because what kind of hope would it give them if he just gives them kind of a, a vague promise that one day he's coming back somewhere over the rainbow? But to come back from the dead? Now, now that's something. See, resurrection is something that would actually immediately impact their lives. It would give them real hope in that moment, immediate hope, but really it would be giving them permanent hope as well. They watched Jesus get brutally killed. He was buried in a tomb. They were down, they were depressed, they were afraid. They were confused, and they were miserable. But they were miserable. So a vague promise of maybe returning later on wasn't going to do a lot for them. But what if it was a guaranteed promise? What if it was a sure thing? What if it wasn't just a promise, but it was a promise with an ironclad guarantee? Because that's what Jesus gave. So a, a guaranteed promise That might help a broken heart. A guaranteed promise might give joy to a miserable soul. And that's what Jesus is offering. Jesus rose from the grave. He was dead 72 hours. And then he was not dead. See, he came back to life. He was gone for a little while. But then a little while later, they saw him and he was alive. Imagine you were around during that time, and you're kind of a, you know, a little bit of a skeptic, but you're hanging around with Jesus, you know? He seems kind of cool. You kind of like the vibe that he's giving off, and, and he seems to be doing some neat things. People are getting healed. There's some miracles. So you, you hang out for a little bit. You, you attend his church. You know, you kind of like, you like the music, and you like, like the preaching, and the people are nice. You're going to hang out with Jesus for a little while. But you're skeptical. And you're talking to Jesus one day, and you're like, I don't know. I mean, it all sounds good, but how do I know if all this is real? I mean, what if this is just a big religious PR stunt? You know, what if you just want to build a bunch of buildings and, you know, have a little, have a little mega campus here? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What if this is all just a sham? And Jesus responds, and he says, well, what if I were to be arrested 
and publicly beaten and publicly executed for the penalty of your sin and rebellion against God. And then, three days later, I come back from the dead. And I appear myself to more than 500 people, and they all verify that it's really me. Would, would that help some of your skepticism? You might say, yeah, I don't know, coming back from the dead might, might work. You know, that might be pretty good. And Jesus said, okay, so if that were to happen, don't you think that it would make sense that you could believe all the other promises, the, the lesser promises, so to speak? that I've given like one of them saying that I'm coming back again to take all my true followers back to heaven with me? Don't, don't you think you should be able to, to count on all my promises if you could count on that promise that I come back from the dead? And you're like, yeah, that, that rising from the dead thing has it's got some legs. You know, I mean, I, it could kind of cover a lot of things. And Jesus goes on. Well, what if before I come back the second time, I give you a helper, a friend, a guide, someone to encourage you, someone to stay in your heart and your mind, reminding you over and over again that all of these promises of mine are true and will be guaranteed over time. Yeah, I'd be okay with a helper like that. You see, the beauty of the resurrection is this. Whatever promise you're struggling with right now, okay, let's just be honest, we all are. There's, there's some promise in the Bible that we struggle with. So whatever promise or promises that you may be struggling with today, that you're kind of wondering, I don't know, God, is that, is that for real? The resurrection does something amazing. While we're trying to sort through promises, it keeps giving us Jesus over and over and over again. More of Jesus, more of Jesus. That's what the resurrection does. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave. So in rising from the grave, in his resurrection, it's constantly getting more and more and more of Jesus and ultimately Jesus coming again. And see, if you're getting more and more and more of Jesus as the promise, then that means this, you will never be let alone forever. You won't be alone forever. And listen, sometimes in life, well, we just feel alone. We do. Goodness gracious. I mean, I, I can speak for some of y'all because I know some of your stories, you know. And, and I can say for pretty much every pastor in the world and in America, 2020 has been the loneliest year of ministry ever. Because you have to make impossible decisions for hundreds of people. And most of them don't like it. And you know what? That's the same for your doctor and your politician and your parents and your grandparents and your teachers and your principals and everybody else. This is a world of impossible decisions right now. Everyone feels so alone. And yet in Christ, it is impossible for us to truly be alone because Jesus is risen from the grave. So over and over again, the resurrection promises us, you'll just keep getting more Jesus. You'll just keep getting more of Jesus. And ultimately, he'll be with you. And see, that means that for your misery today, the resurrection matters. See, the resurrection can bring joy to your misery. Whatever your misery may be, the resurrection brings joy because the resurrection is guaranteed hope. The resurrection matters for your misery today and the resurrection matters for next Sunday. 
Next Sunday, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. John Blanchard said the Lord's Supper is the whole Bible in one meal. I just love that. What does that mean? It means that everything that Jesus has done for you, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his, his guaranteed promise return, all of those realities, all of those amazing, stunning realities, we can see and know and experience in a piece of bread and in a cup. It's, it's, it's amazing that Jesus would be this kind to us to remind us in the middle of 2020 at any given moment, oh yeah, the bread and cup is that reminder that all of these amazing grace realities they're all true. The Lord's Supper is an immense picture of sorrow. It is. Jesus is sharing the bread and the cup before he's about to be arrested and beaten and crucified. So there's lots of sorrow. But the Lord's Supper is sorrow that turns into joy. See, for Christians, the Lord's Supper is a, a reminder that we get joy. We get it. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's not like a promised thing. It's like a guaranteed thing. We get joy. And if you're not a Christian, then we would also just say that without Christ, you can't get joy. Like you can't get it. You might be able to get some happiness, but you can't get any joy. So your misery can't be turned into hope. Your sorrow can't be turned into joy without Christ. And so we plead with you to come to Jesus. Repent and find freedom. The only freedom that lasts forever in Christ. So I want you to approach next Sunday with purpose. If you're going to be here in person on campus, you'll be picking up your bread and your cup as, as you come into the service and just keeping it with you until the end of the service. And if you're at home watching online, then head to the store, okay? Uh, go get you some, some bread and juice and, and you be ready next Sunday. In other words, let's prepare for next Sunday. Let's prepare our hearts, let's prepare our minds, and let's prepare practically. Prepare to what? Prepare to remember. To remember what? I saw it put this way a couple weeks ago. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration and an emblematic demonstration of the most painful, the most sinful, the most sorrowful act in the history of the world. And it is aiming to produce in us a kind of joy in the gospel and in Christ that is greater than any joy in the world. But that joy is not chipper. It's not glib. It's not superficial. It's not silly. It's not bouncy. It's not bouncy. It's not glib. So what we do next week is, is not bouncy and glib, but it is joyful. So we come seriously. We come with a sense of sorrow that Jesus has died for us, but, but that sorrow is turned into joy because he has risen from the dead. So we come with purpose to remember. About six or seven years ago, I was in a grocery store, and I, I heard this kid start calling for his mom. And it wasn't super loud, you know, maybe he sounded like he's maybe an aisle or two over from me, but you know, it was like, mommy. And so I, you know, still looking for my mustard or whatever I was looking for. And then it was like, mommy. And then a few seconds later, mommy, mommy. 
Mommy! And it just kept getting louder. So I was like, all right, cruise toward this kid. So I started following his voice. And by the time I got there, you know, I was like, hey, buddy. I said, uh, you know, do you remember what your mom had on? He's like, that's okay. I was like, all right, okay. Let's, I tell you what, why don't we walk to the front of the store? Let's go find the person in charge of the store, and, and maybe they can help us find your mom. And, and we'll look for your mom as we walk. And, and that seemed to calming down a little bit. So, you know, we start walking along, and I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eye on him, watching him. And I mean, his face is just... And then all of a sudden, we turn the corner of the aisle, and everything about his face changes. I mean, his, his eyebrows shoot up, and, and he, his whole squunched-up face just, you know, excitement, and he's smiling, and he takes off running away from me because about three aisles down, his mom came out from the frozen food, and he saw her, you know. Just in a, in a moment, everything changed. His whole face, his whole life change because of one look at one person. I turned and went back to do my shopping and almost immediately as I turned the first thing that popped into my head was I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I think for the next five minutes, I walked through the store just saying that to myself over and over again. Dow, you once were lost, but now you're found. You once were lost, but now you're found. What makes you happy in life? Food, family, friends, vacation, whatever it may be. Think of those things that make you happy and and love them, enjoy them. Fantastic. But please know this, the greatest joy in the universe can only be found in being found by Jesus, being saved by Jesus, being known by Jesus. And you know what the greatest part of being known by Jesus is? What the greatest part of knowing Jesus is? Is that in a little while, we will have joy forever. Forever.